Well, in 2001, just a couple months prior to 9-11, some friends gave Kim and I uh, just a, really a gift of a lifetime. It was a, a trip to Israel. And you know what? Every time I think back on that, I feel a little bit bad. Uh, truth is, I really didn't want to go at first. I was young, I was immature, and I was ungrateful. Years before, I had heard about Mark Twain's book, The Humorous Story, Innocence Abroad. In it, he pokes fun at wide-eyed Americans who go on culture vulture tours around the world, and I didn't want to be one of those people. Yeah, arrogant. Anyway, further, I knew that one of the features of Holy Land tours was to go to a shrine or a church claiming to be the place where Jesus did this or that. We get that a little bit in Illinois, right? I mean, this is the steak and shake Lincoln ate at or, or the rest stop he stayed at along I-55. We get all that. In Israel, many sites lay claim to a particular event in Jesus' life. But, but there is often little proof that it is the actual site. Uh, something as monumental as the tomb of Christ. Can you imagine that there's more than one place that they say Jesus was buried here, no Jesus was buried here. So you're kind of trying to figure out where did this thing actually happen? Well, within a short time of arrival, I was glad I overcame my youthful arrogance and took the trip. It was eye-opening, and it was life-changing. It granted me perspective. For example, seeing the Sea of Galilee. I was born a child of the Great Lakes. Both Lakes Erie and Ontario were within a half hour of my home. I had seen them many, many times. So when my Sunday school teacher told the story of Jesus walking on the water, my mind went to Wilson, New York, the beach... They're on Lake Ontario, and if you, if you squint just right on a very clear day, you can see the CN Tower, and you can see Toronto on the other side. Much like if you go over to the Warren Dunes on a clear day and climb the dune, you can see Chicago off in the distance. And that's what I'm imagining. I'm imagining Jesus walking from Toronto over to Wilson on this huge lake. Instead, the Sea of Galilee looked to me more like parts of the Niagara River, minus the mountains not nearly as wide as my American mind had imagined. It put the life of Jesus in appropriate ancient Eastern context, displacing my modern Western mindset. Still, as you make your way through the country, guides point out many places that might, strong word, might have been a place that Jesus did this or that. In Jerusalem, pilgrims head to a road known as the Via Della Rosa. Uh, it's interpreted the way of suffering or, or, the, or the path of sorrows. As one walks the road, they see what is referred to as stations of the cross. The Via Della Rosa is, is marked by 14 stations, commemorating 14 incidents that took place along the way to the cross. Now, you've got to know that at least five of these incidents are not recorded in the Bible. They spring instead from, from church tradition. You will notice, uh, if you go onto our website, that we're already talking about some of the things we're doing for Easter. One of the things I love doing at Easter is what we call Silent Saturday. The day that we stop and reflect on Jesus in the tomb. And we actually use pieces of, visuals of, the stations of the cross to walk that path to walk that path, that journey toward the resurrection. So as you're making your Easter plans, I hope that you will carve out some time on that Saturday to come and, and to be quiet here. There's no talking, there's some light music, just to be able to stop and reflect on what Jesus endured for you and for me. So walking along the path, you come across a special spot in the wall. It, it is found at Station 5, 
the place that commemorated the moment that Jesus stumbled and Simon was invited by a Roman soldier to carry the cross of Jesus. This stone, tradition says, is the place that Jesus leaned his hand. They've referred to it as the stone that Jesus touched. It appears to have the impression of a hand on it. And it's different from the rocks around it. Millions of pilgrims through the centuries have put their hand on that spot. I cannot tell you definitively that Jesus did touch that rock. Nor can I say without question he did not touch that rock. He might have. He probably didn't. What I can tell you is that I can directly, without doubt or hesitation, show you a rock that Jesus did touch. No question. We might call it the Cephas stone. Cephas was one of the three names commonly used for this touched stone. The two others were Simon and Peter. Petros, quite literally named the rock. What a, I mean, what a stud name, right? The rock, Peter, the rock. As we make our annual journey toward the cross, I thought it might be of great value to examine a rock that we know without question to have been touched by Jesus. The apostle known as Peter experienced the physical and spiritual touch of our Savior. And once he was touched, I promise you, he was never, ever the same. We will look at him through the lens of a letter that he wrote. He wrote two that we find in the canon of Scripture. They're known as First and Second Peter. And for the remainder of Lent, we're, we're going to look at the first letter in particular. While we will be on a mission to understand the letter itself, my goal is that we might understand Peter better. Written years after his encounter with Christ, what does this man look like as a man of matured faith? A transformed person? A changed person? How has he morphed? How has he changed? You see, I think most of us would agree that our early life encounters and experiences formed us. So what did he become in light of that early touch of Jesus in his life? I got to admit, I like rocks. I know I'm a little weird. I I always have, ever since I was a little kid. I like to look at them. I like to collect them. I like to skip them across the top of a lake. It's not unusual for our family to go on a trip and come home with a bunch of rocks. Happens all the time. We've got rocks from Israel, from Montana, from Texas, from Petoskey, Michigan. We've got rocks from everywhere. They differ so greatly from place to place. Many of you who have been to Green Lake have been treated to uh, what's known as James Crafts, you know, craft food, mac and cheese guy, James Crafts rock collection. He, he actually took these rocks around to churches on Sunday nights, talking about the different characteristics of each stone and making biblical analogies to each rock. Some of his rocks are, are colorful and brilliant and fascinating to look at. Others appear incredibly boring until you pull out a black light, and all of a sudden, it's more glimmering than any other rock in the collection. So uh, next time you go, make your way to Mr. Craft's Rock Room. It's it's pretty low-tech, I promise you, but, but it's fascinating nonetheless. Here's the question. What kind of rock was Peter? I mean, he's named Rock. What kind of rock was Peter? Think about it. Jesus said, Peter, you are a rock. What kind of rock was he referring to? Some rock is soft, some rock is very hard, some is colorful, some is plain, some rock smells. Some is porous and actually floats. 
what kind of rock was Peter? Well, let's, let's look at this classic declaration of Jesus about this disciple. He says, and I tell you, you are Peter, Petros. And on this rock, Petra, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. If we were to look at this in Greek, we'd literally say, see Jesus say, you are Petros, and on this Petra, I will build my church. Peter is a rock. What kind of rock is he? Our introduction to his letter needs to be set in the context of his life and his formative experiences. You see, the first thing we find about Peter is that he is a, he's a chosen rock. He was selected on purpose. When we wander a beach or rocky terrain and you like looking for rocks, you scan, you scan and search until something draws your eye. It draws your eye. You look, you see, and, and, and you go ahead and bend over and you choose that particular stone. Peter was, Peter was chosen. He was chosen and he knew it. He was born into a fishing family, his hometown with Bethsaida. Now, now they say that that word actually means uh, the, the home of fish. I, so anyway, he lived in the home of fish. We find that in John 144. He, he is one of uh, two pairs of brothers among the twelve. You have Peter and Andrew, and then James and John. He grows up in Bethsaida, but then as an adult, he settles in Capernaum, which is, was just a short, short distance away, both at the north part of the Sea of Galilee. He had no formal education whatsoever. And having said that, in Acts 4.13, he has paid one of the best compliments ever paid of a follower of Jesus. Acts 4.13 says that when the religious leaders saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. I wonder, as people look at your life, do they take note? Hmm, something different there. He's been with Jesus. She's been with Jesus. Men who had been with Jesus. This was a real difference maker for them. Now, the family had some religious interest. They, they did. And it was not just your commonplace, run-of-the-mill Judaism. John 1, 35-43 indicates that at least Andrew, maybe Peter, but at least Andrew, was a follower of John the Baptist. As, as you begin that passage, you find that, that John is teaching and, and Jesus comes along and he points and he says, Look, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There he is. And it says, two of John's disciples heard this and started to follow Jesus. As you work your way down, you find that one of the two, one of the two, was uh, Peter's brother, Andrew. He sees him. He starts to follow him. He follows him to where he's going. And, and we're told that he actually goes home and he says to Simon, I think we found the Messiah. I think we found the Christ. And in verse 42, we read that Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. And it says, looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name, is, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will now be called Cephas, which means Peter. Can you imagine this first encounter? First of all, you have this religious leader, and it says, he looked at him intently. How many of you like to be looked at intently? You know, in the, in the era of staring at this, all we have to do is look in a person's eyes for about two seconds, and we're back to our phone, right? He stared at him intently. And in the first conversation, great name, but I'm going to give you a different one. We're changing your name right here, right now. It's going to change. First meeting, 
first encounter, first recorded words. Your mom and dad called you Simon, but I see a rock. You are Peter. Chosen. And the choosing involved, I think, not so much a change of an identity, but the exposure of an underlying identity. He had a name to grow into. You used to fish for fish, but now you will fish for men. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throw a net in the water for they were fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Now, it's important that we stop here just for a second because some of you are looking at both those passages and saying, okay, so which was it? Did Andrew go get Peter and introduce him to Jesus? Or did Jesus find him on the lakeshore and say, come follow me? It's not a contradiction. What we have here is actually a growing relationship with Jesus. There's space in between that first moment and the formal call to discipleship. So they had had some time to think about, would I follow this guy if he asked me? And he did, and they said, absolutely. They dropped their nets, and they followed him. What did Jesus see in this common man, this formerly uneducated man, this fisherman? What did he see? Whatever it is, it led to a choice. Peter, I choose you to follow me. Peter was a chosen rock. And I think that impacted him deeply. To know that Jesus had chosen him, I think, I think it left fingerprints all over him. He didn't elbow his way in. He was chosen. Peter's chosen life theme of being chosen makes its way into the first few sentences of his letter. He starts like all ancient letters. Okay, All ancient letters start with, with the writer's name. Not because they're haughty or proud, but because that's the way you did it. You started with, hey, I'm Dennis. Boom. And then you put... Who you're writing to. I'm Dennis. This is to Southfield. And then you'd go ahead and start the letter. You didn't do the sincerely Dennis at the end, okay? So here's the name, Peter. And he talks about who this letter is to. He says, I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia. He says, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago And his spirit made you holy as a result. You have obeyed him and been made cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more grace and peace. The NIV is actually a little bit more precise. It says, those who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, through the sanctifying work of the spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. The word chosen appears six times in the five chapters of this book. Sometimes it refers to Jesus, and sometimes it refers to his followers. First Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen people. He's talking about us. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a special possession, that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Peter will go on to say, as we will see in his, in his letter, that we are not simply chosen for the sake of being chosen. But we're chosen for a purpose. And we're going to unfold that purpose in the weeks to come. Do you get it? Do you get it? You are not an extra on on some large-scale movie set. You're not merely a blip on a cosmic radar screen. God knew you. And God chose you. New Testament writers like to refer to us as adopted. We're children by choice. 
God said, I want you. I think Peter could never shake off that reality that there was a day that Jesus looked him in the eye intently and said, hey, rock, come follow me. Let's keep examining this this stone that we're holding in our hands. We know that Peter is a chosen rock. Peter is also an outspoken rock, a rock that screams. You know, when I'm combing the beaches of Lake Michigan, whether at the Warren Dunes or further north at Traverse City or Petoskey, I can't help but look at the ground and I'm just scanning for stones. And there are thousands of them in some places and thousands upon thousands. So what causes us as we're walking along the way to stop, bend over, pick up a stone and say, this is the one. I choose this one. This is the one. Why do we do it? Because sometimes a rock is just outspoken. It's screaming louder than all the other ones around it. There's a special quality about it. Something screams to us. One cannot read the Gospels without seeing this in Peter. Peter is outspoken. He often speaks first, and he says what everybody else is thinking, but he's willing to say it out loud. He blurts it out. He says it. He's an action guy. He's not sitting and deliberating. He just, boom, there it is. That creates moments... When Peter gets an A+, great answer. And there are other times that he finds himself chewing on his sandal. Both happen. We see this in action in the passage we already examined in Matthew chapter 16. We read, starting in verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Some said John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Jesus is polling the group. He's just polling. So we've been together for a bit. I value your perspective. What are you hearing from the crowd? Who do people say I am? What, 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 what's out there? Polling questions are easy. They're easy to answer, right? They require no skin in the game. You're, you're just reflecting what you've heard. So the answers roll out. Ah, John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Then verse 15. But what about you? Who do you say I am? We move from polling to personal. We're a little slower to answer that question. It involves more risk. It involves, it involves laying it all out there. This is what I think. Peter doesn't waste a second. <laughs> You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus responds, gold star, Peter. Boom! Congratulations! You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You do not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you, you are Peter, which means rock, and on this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Peter's got to be feeling pretty good right now. Have you, ever, have you ever gotten a higher score than anybody else on the test in the class? And you don't want to brag, but you leave there, right up there at the corner of the desk, right? I mean, just, oh. <laughs> me, yeah. Peter's feeling great. Oh, this is, it, it's a pretty amazing moment for him. But we know he goes from gold star to goat in just a moment. It doesn't take long at all. You see, Jesus shifts the conversation from his identity to the implications of his identity. He says, yes, I am the Messiah. I'm going to be head of Jerusalem. And religious leaders are going to capture me. And they're going to torture me. And they're going to kill me. And three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. Outspoken can gain you gold stars. But the weakness of outspoken is overreach. 
I love verse 22. It says, Peter took him aside. You're grabbing God by the shoulder. Hey, Jesus, I got something to share with you. I know you created me, but you're missing it here, dude. He starts to, it says he reprimanded him. Heaven forbid, Lord, this will never happen to you. And Peter goes from gold star to goat in just a second. Jesus says, what? Get away from me. Satan, you're a dangerous trap to me. You're seeing things from merely a human point of view, not from God's. Not only is he referred to as a tool of Satan... But Jesus says the exact opposite of the compliment he gave earlier. The compliment came with the observation that this revelation was not merely human, but straight from the Father. Now he says, this is merely human, and God is not in it at all. Now, take the stone and look at it a little bit more closely. You do not see this wording in the New Living Translation, but you catch it in the New International. It says in verse 23, Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. Jesus actually refers to him as a stumbling stone. You're a stone that is causing me to stumble. And I don't think this term was without intent. Peter the rock has become Peter the stumbling stone. And you know what's amazing? When we get over to the book of 1 Peter, to that letter, he uses that exact word again. I'm telling you, all this stuff that happened to him as a disciple comes over and pours into that letter when he wrote later. It's the Greek word scandalon. Can you hear scandal in there? Something that causes a person to trip or fall. Something that causes them to stumble. Now, i got to tell you, this whole thing about Peter, you know, gold star to goat, I love this about him. I do. We see his raw humanity. I mean, he's just, he's very, very real. He goes from gold star to goat, not, not in the same year or the same day or the same hour, but the exact same conversation. I mean, boom, it happens that fast. Outspokenness can be a valuable quality. Some of us are a lot slower to respond. We're, we're very calculating, right? We, we think through every word with precision. Peter's like a preschooler that has no problem telling you everything in his head, including that you have bad breath and your face looks funny. I mean, boom, there it is. The key for Peter and for us is to know when our words are from God and when they are merely human. He wants you to be outspoken. But when are the words God's words? And when when are they just my own? Move back to his epistle. We're going to see Peter's outspokenness. Now, mind you, it's inspired scripture, so it is not merely human thinking. It's divinely sourced. Nonetheless, he's going to say some things that are incredibly direct, things that our modern, politically correct ears will want to reject. He will speak about social issues and marital relationships in a way that moderns are quick to dismiss. But listen, listen. This time, Peter's outspokenness is gold star quality, not billy goat. Let's look at one more quality of this rock. I I could give you a whole bunch, but I'm going to give you one more. Peter is probably best known uh, in history for two things. Walking on water and walking away from Jesus. Our Lenten journey takes us to the night that Jesus was betrayed. Peter declares that he will defend Jesus to the death. And of course, Jesus counters. Not once, not twice, three times you will say, 
you don't even know me. No way, Jesus. Not me. I'm Gold Star Peter. I No way. Later that night, he's running from the courtyard. And the Bible says, and I think one of the saddest, saddest statements in, the, in Scripture, it says he's running away from the courtyard, weeping bitterly. Weeping bitterly, knowing what he'd done after three blatant betrayals. He's a chosen stone and he's an outspoken stone. Is he about to become the rock that Jesus rejects? The one that he says, you are no longer of any use to me. We know from John 21 that Jesus and Peter have a conversation on the shore of that lake. The place where it all started. Peter, after the denial, has gone back to fishing. Back to his old ways. He declares it, I'm going fishing, others follow him. I wonder, have you ever messed up with a friend? Maybe, maybe you were talking to someone else and didn't realize your friend was right behind you and, and you're saying some things that are unkind and you turn and you go, oh no. And there's no way you can twist this or contort this. You've been, you've been busted. You've just been busted in gospel. Have you ever messed up with a friend? I mean messed up big time. How was the next time you saw each other? What was that like? Just think about it for a moment. What was that like? Now, you've got to understand, this is not the first time Peter has seen Jesus since the resurrection. It is, however, the first recorded in-depth conversation. A guy shouts out from the shore to these, to these bass pros out in the boat, caught anything? No, been fishing all night, not a thing. Try the other side of the boat. You can hear them mumbling in the boat, idiot. And they did it. And now, now, there's so many fish, they can't pull the net into the boat. John says, it is the Lord. Peter jumps in the water and begins to swim. Back on the beach, the Bible tells us Jesus is already prepping breakfast. Interesting invitation. Don't miss it. Chapter 21, verse 9 of John says, when they landed, they saw a fire burning, a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and with some bread. He, he's not only got the fire, it's not as if he's going, I'm going to get a net full and, and we're going to go ahead and bring them in. He's already got fish going. He's already got bread going. There's the breakfast. But then, I love this. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've caught. So Simon climbed back in the boat, dragged the net ashore. It was full. I love this. They count them, 153. Believe me, fishermen count and measure. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And then Jesus extends another invitation. Come have breakfast with me. He was already grilling some fish. But he says to Peter, bring some of yours. What, what a beautiful invitation. You may not see it. What a beautiful invitation. Bring some of what you've caught to the table. He invites Peter to bring something to the meal. He's basically saying, you're not worthless to me. He could have just said, I have all you need. Leave your stuff alone. But no. Bring something to the table. And this launches a series of invitations. Have breakfast with me. And then afterward, a conversation. Simon, not Cephas or Peter, mind you. Not the new given name. Simon. Simon, do you love me? Yes. Invitation. 
feed my lambs. A second, do you love me? Yes, an invitation, tend my sheep. A third time as well. And the third time, Peter acknowledges that the whole interchange is becoming intensely, brutally painful. The Bible says he was grieved. And he says, yes. And Jesus invites them, feed my sheep. Three invitations to match the three denials. Peter was chosen and Peter was outspoken, but here's the beautiful thing. Peter was also recalled. He was a recalled stone. He was not rejected, but recalled. He was still wanted. And the fingerprints of that interaction are all over chapter 5 of 1 Peter when he gets into saying, be shepherds of the flock of God that is under your care. Not watching over them, not because you must be, because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory that will never fade away. Peter knew what we need to know. Nothing you can do could make him love you more. And nothing that you've done could make him close the door. Absolutely nothing. While Peter may have rejected knowing Jesus, Jesus did not reject Peter. We all need these moments with Jesus. Awkward moments. Moments when we accept his invitation for the painful conversation The one where he asks, not once or twice, but three times, to the point that we are grieved. And we answer, yes, Lord, I still love you. We all need these moments of recall in our lives. We may feel we are out of reach. There he is, breakfast prepared. And he invites you, bring me some of your fish. Bring me you. I still choose you. I still want you. One of the great themes of this epistle that we're going to look at is just the theme of salvation. What it means to be in a relationship with God through salvation. What it it means to, to get into a relationship with God and the implications of that relationship from here forward. And as I think of salvation, I, I, I can't help but think of this great man, Billy Graham, who entered the presence of Jesus this past week. I, I suspect if we were to open the floor today, several of you would be able to point back to some way in which he has impacted your family tree. For me, I, quite literally, my dad is sitting on a, on a garbage can at DuPont in Niagara Falls on his lunch break. And he's reading a book by Billy Graham and he comes to the end and the end has a prayer inviting him to become a Christian. And he prays the prayer on a garbage can at a chemical plant. And I couldn't help but think this past week, my goodness, if not for that book, if not for that man, if not for that prayer, I don't know where I would be today. I don't know. I suspect my family would have been obliterated within months of that. I mean, my my parents were just going in opposite directions and we would have been a total mess. The salvation God offers is life-changing. It's life-changing. It impacts us in ways that, that we will never completely comprehend in this world. Peter, Simon, you're a rock. I chose you. You're outspoken and I recalled you. 
And he says the same thing to us today. I choose you. And if you wandered, I'm more than willing to recall you once again. Father God in heaven, as we explore this man over this next several weeks, as we explore his teaching and the words that you inspired the Spirit to say through him, God, I pray that we will be changed from the inside out. For those of us who are not yet in a relationship with God, we'll want one. And for those of us that are, we'll get that this is not just fire insurance. This just doesn't keep us out of hell. It gives us a great life here and in the life to come. It quite literally makes us new people. Thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. So our servers are going to come now and receive the offering. I've got a uh, copy again of the links for you. And uh, these ones are, uh, I'm not going to really dwell on them for a whole long time. The, the first one, if you go there, that's just going to take you to the first page of the website. That's going to show you some of the opportunities coming up for Easter. We've talked about a couple of new journey groups, the one for women following the retreat, as well as one for our 20-somethings getting to go eat at the Yost. So thinking about shaving about 30 years off my life so I can go too. Uh, the place to go ahead and uh, click so that you can be prayed for as well as to give. And just want to remind you again that if you want to sign up for that, nice and easy, go to southfieldchurch.com. The banner at the bottom gives you all these great links, everything from, you can see our Facebook page, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. There's a place to contact us, send an email. The little heart is uh, for prayer requests, and then the plus sign is so that you can be added to the link. So, and why are you holding a Coke box? Well, first, if you go to that Journey Groups tab, you'll also see that a link is there for Green Lake. Those are just for rough details for now, all right? So we're not, we have not opened registration. We will here in the next week. Uh, but if you want some a basic outline of what that week's going to look like, uh, you can go ahead and check that out. So yeah, why am I holding a Coke thing? Uh, we are doing some fun stuff with students. Uh, and uh, our, we have an awesome team this Game night, uh, we're going to be doing a giant game night with Refuge, and Sherry Gearman has come up with a list of really, really awesome games. One of them is a giant Jenga, and we need these fridge boxes. Uh, so, so drink lots of so Coke. So drink lots of pop. Uh, Sugar yeah. up. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> uh, can we, they buy diet, I guess? Yeah, you can yeah, buy okay. whatever you All want, right. okay. as long as they're these fridge boxes. Right. Uh, again, and so you can bring them in. When you do bring them Those, in... Those, or can it be a 24. No, just these. Just those. Just the fridge box, just like this. That's why I brought an example up here. Just check it. This piece. I was was curious. This piece, uh, if you've ripped it off and thrown it away, it's okay. Uh, We can can replace that piece. So if you you do bring one in, uh, the door in the back corner, uh, that's our student closet. And (laughs) it's totally okay. You can open up the door and just throw it. You can open up the door and just throw it in there. All right. And we'll clean up the mess later. But again, as many of these as we possibly can, because uh, yeah, it's going to be a really good time. Good deal. How was the luau? The luau was fantastic. Uh, it was so nice. Uh, we turned the heat up in here to like 75. So, which doesn't sound, it, it was, it was sweltering hot. We keep hot. it 62 on Sunday yeah, morning. I mean, it was, no, it was kidding. so hot. Uh, we gave away a lot of really cool prizes. Uh, I know that the Van X are now the proud owners of a gigantic flamingo uh, float <laughs> tube thing that's sitting in Vincent's room right now. Uh, I think he's, you got rid of your bed now, right? 
because that's the, the big <laughs> inflatable flamingos now is bad. Uh, yeah, no, it was, it was really good. Got some good, good stuff deal. going on. Good deal. Yeah, again, uh, this week's normal. So tonight, Refuge 6 to 8, or I'm sorry, Revive 6 to 8, and Wednesday, Refuge 6.30 to 8.30. Wonderful. After second service today, our first impressions team is going to be meeting to uh, talk through how best to go about helping people feel welcomed and loved at our church. So if you're part of that, I uh, just want to remind you of that. And if you happen to stick around for a second, we're going to be leaving chairs set up in here to be able to go ahead and walk through how we do offering and all that sort of stuff. But we will need some help setting up in the brick room for a meal that's coming. So if you want to check with either Sue Beaker or Kim or Brian, they can tell you what needs to happen after second service. And uh, your help with that would be appreciated. Why don't we go ahead and stand? And we'll close our time in prayer today. Father God in heaven, as we walk away from uh, this room, we know we do not walk away from you. Uh, You are with us everywhere we go. God, our prayer this week is that as we continue to dwell on the ways that the Bible is living in us, that we would realize that, that, that Jesus is living in us. And that we are experiencing a life-changing salvation. Father, I pray that more and more we would be open to to your calling to to literally walk out on that water, to do the great things that you're calling us to do, just like you did the Apostle Peter. Thank you so much for our church family. Uh, Thank you that we have people on this earth that love you and that we love uh, together in order that we might be able to have companions on the journey uh, to heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Enjoy the week.